by 2016, 17, 18, I was still doing it. I was up by 2021 on every purchase I had ever made on SPY in history. And the greatest purchases I ever made were when I automatically turned off my brain and allowed and allowed the sensible thing to happen, which was to just dollar cost average and not think through the depths of that recession and bear market. But good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. What is up? Happy New Year 2023. I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're here with me listening to The Charlie Shrem Show, hopefully watching too. And you're also joined by one of my closest friends, fellow podcaster, fellow author, Scott Melker. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, man. It's awesome to uh, be back. Always a pleasure to get this opportunity, whether I'm sitting on that side or you're sitting on this side. And we're going to do this like year in review. I feel like you've been doing it and a lot of people have been talking about how that year was just to give a little bit of background. You're a trader investor and the host of the popular Wolf of All Streets podcast. Uh, you're the author of the Wolf Den newsletter. You go all over the news a lot of times being a talking head and trying to teach the masses what the hell is going on in our space. You were named Influencer of the Year by Binance. Congratulations. And prior to that, other than investing and working with tons of projects as well, you were also a prolific DJ, a music producer known as the Melker Project. You had like this 20-year music career. And then you decided to like say to yourselves, I want to work really hard for no reason and join Bitcoin and crypto. Pretty accurate. <laughs> How's it been? How's like, how was your holiday season? The holidays have been great. I took a welcome break from staring at charts. I actually took a week off the newsletter and from recording and streaming, which is not something that I do often. And it was a really nice and important reset. I think everybody should do that every once in a while, especially, I mean, right now, we were talking about Bitcoin trading in a two or $300 range in any given day or week. There's really not that much to see, but there was so much that happened this year. It's really overwhelming and almost hard to even remember all of it without somebody prompting you. Should we remember it though? Should we just yeah. look back at 2022 as like just 2021 was amazing and from like a crypto perspective and a Bitcoin perspective, but 2022 was like just the vomiting. It, I mean, listen, I wasn't here like you in the Mount Gox days, but I've never experienced anything in markets like I did this year. Even the 2008, 2009 recession when I was heavily you know, invested in the stock market and trading there was nothing like this. Do you remember if you had made like any personal New Year's resolutions last year? I'm not a big on New Year's resolutions, to be honest. So I didn't have any that specifically come to mind. I'm a firm believer that if you really want to do something, you don't need an arbitrary date and time to start doing it. So if I've decided on December 14th, there's something really important that I need to change. I'm going to start changing it on December 15th. But I can tell you that... Uh, I sort of did a year in review of my predictions in the newsletter and I went about four for 10. I can't even remember specifically what they were, but it was, you know, Bitcoin will make a new all-time high this year and, you know, we'll see more countries adopting Bitcoin and more institutional adoption, which I do think has happened, at least the latter. And I guess the Central African Republic counts as another country adopting Bitcoin. But largely my thoughts on what 22 would look like were wrong. You know, and I don't think that's uncommon. I think that when you're in the depths of an exciting bull market, there's a lot of FOMO and excitement and greed. And it's hard to imagine that we'd be back in 2017 as far as prices and the market would be so, so absolutely destroyed. But 
Yeah, not, nothing uh, that I can remember specifically saying I need to get done this year, but I can definitely tell you that I made some pretty poor predictions. We talked about for like 10 years, one of the biggest predictions people had is like, when would the institutions come? When the institutions come, we'll hit mass adoption, right? And for a decade, we never had these so-called institutions, pension funds, large, you know, like private equity groups just, just funneling in. We said we needed regulation. We needed better use cases, utility for Bitcoin and crypto. Could I argue that they came in 2022 and the institution is what broke us? I think you could make that argument. And I think they're still coming, to be quite frank. I mean, when you're talking about BlackRock, JP Morgan, Citadel, Fidelity, Morgan Stanley, there are no bigger institutions, maybe outside of certain pension funds or endowments. These are the biggest institutions in the world, and they're all clearly committing to the crypto space. And this might be one of those cases, as you alluded to, of be careful what you wish for, right? In fact, we have a history of these big institutional events being the dead tops of the markets and really predicting the bear market to come. Of course, in 2017, famously, the day that futures trading was made available, CME or CBOE, now I'm blanking which one it was, that was literally the dead top of the Bitcoin price of the oh, 2017 wow. market. Coinbase's direct listing, people called an IPO, it was not, but their direct listing was effectively a top of the last market. And the listing of the Bitcoin futures ETF was at the dead top as well, I believe in last December, right? And really was a catalyst for the market down. So I do think you can say that uh, we wished for it and a lot of people are probably wishing we did not have it. And if I would make one sort of bold prediction about the year, and it's something I tweeted a couple months ago, now that this industry is so utterly destroyed, there's so many distressed assets, things are down so far that we're going to see Wall Street buying up everything, right? And I think so. I'm not sure that that's a good thing, but I do think that there's still plenty of them on the sidelines in cash, licking their chops at the opportunity to buy up this industry for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, unlike the housing bubble that, that caused a lot of people to lose money in those years after that, this was a little bit different. There's a lot of cash still waiting on the sidelines to be redeployed into the stock market, into crypto market. That cash is just still sitting there. It's in bonds, it's in CDs. It's just, it's not like there was a huge housing market implosion or something like that where everyone lost a huge amount of equity or something overnight. So that's what they're looking at. And so are you seeing a shift in people actually looking at products and services within crypto that are actually bringing value and utility, like cool things? I mean, not as much as you would hope, because when you start talking about institutional adoption, it's more about, at this point, price and buying and selling than it is about the actual use cases or utility, right? And so I, I do think, yes, I think one narrative there, obviously, is that there were billions and billions and billions raised in 2021 and even more in 2022 of venture capital, right? I mean, yeah. Andreessen Horowitz, 3.5, 4.5, whatever it was, these massive funds, all the big names, that capital has got to be deployed, right? Venture capitals, capitalists can't sit there for 10 years or five years and wait for the market to turn around. They have a mandate to deploy that capital in a certain amount of time, and they will, you know? And so I think that the massive money is definitely coming in, and the focus probably largely in the next year will be in Web3 gaming, yeah. You know, I don't think it's going to be micro strategy and institutions buying Bitcoin for their balance sheets. 
right? But I think it's going to be largely huge money coming into venture capital. And then, as I alluded to, I think the other money on the sidelines, the big banks and such, I think they're probably looking very heavily at distressed assets like miners, uh, these platforms that have effectively gone under and have holes in their balance sheets. I mean, those are massive, massive opportunities. I've heard rumors that and I, this is not substantiated, but I've heard it twice that like, you know, Stevie Cohen's 0.72 is raising a billion dollar fund to buy crypto distressed assets. We've heard similar things from banks and other hedge funds. So I think that's going to be a very big narrative and that cash will be deployed and they're going to get a great deal because there will be another bull run and they're going to, you know, 10x their money just going back to where we were. You're going to see a huge amount of deployment of capital that way. In, the, in, in, in that sense, that's when the institutions are really coming because they knew all along that our technology has value here, but they were watching us build our own bubble and then pop it at the same time. And now they're going to come in and sweep up all the assets. Right. And I think they're getting it an even a greater discount than they would have anticipated. I think there was a lot of sentiment that everything was overheated, right? Stocks yeah. as well, uh, not to just uh, to shine a light on crypto, but 45,000, 50,000, 60,000, 69,000. They didn't want to come in at those prices, right? So maybe they thought that we would see a bit of a pullback, you know, into the 30s, high 20s. But they got the gift of, unfortunately, Luna, 3AC, Voyager, Celsius, BlockFi, FTX, you name it, right? And so we have this sort of perfect storm in the wrong direction of where we had unfavorable market conditions, and those really caused epic blowups and self-inflicted wounds for the industry that sent us way lower than we would have been. I really believe if we had not seen even FTX at the end blow up, we'd be sitting in the 20,000s here rather than you know under 17,000. Proceeding Mount Gox, a lot of other things had been collapsing. My company, BitInstant, had shut down about eight months before Mount Gox. Silk Road was was you know was uh, imploded. There were a lot of like big things that happened. But what what happened was when Mt. Gox exploded or imploded, it had actually as much market share as FTX did because it was seen as the JP Morgan of last resort, almost like FTX did. I mean, up until FTX exploded, we thought FTX was going to buy Voyager. No one thought that would happen. And so that I think that was a huge thing for people, which is why their valuations w- went down. I would say like, if, if you have a conversation right now about the price of Bitcoin, the price of Ethereum, and then the overall like health of the crypto industry. You can't have that conversation without talking about the macro situation that we're in. And I understand it's very fair. You know, the era of cheap money is over. I've heard it before. We've been talking about it with, with half the guests on the show. You know, we're in a different world now. Inflation, higher, higher interest rates. Can Bitcoin and crypto survive? It was seen, you know, Bitcoin was seen as this risky asset, but money was, was cheap. But, but you know what the thing was? That macro world was never even talked about up until a few years ago. And that like that narrative was created by like the Bloomberg and Wall Street Journal kind of folks who kind of uh, talk about our industry from the outside within. They created that narrative. Is it possible that if 2023 is seen as like a pretty shitty year in the macro sense, but then the crypto industry is getting this amazing VC investment we're growing, we're hiring, we're building out, we're launching amazing new tokens and products and things like that. Could we be decoupling? I think it's possible. I mean, for the bulk of the history of Bitcoin, it was decoupled, right? As you said, we never really even talked about the macro. You had this sort of 
major market crash at the end of 2018 in stocks that eventually, you know, recovered. And crypto wasn't really a part of that, right? It was always this sort of beautiful, uncorrelated asset. It traveled on its own. You never had to think about any of these things. And to be honest, that allowed us to deny that it was a risk asset and to say that it was a result of the easy money or that we basically only existed during this bull market for stocks and everything forever. But I do think that that decoupling is possible, although I think we'll see more of what we saw this summer. This could be a bad prediction, but if you remember, Bitcoin really just started trading sideways in June and got exceptionally boring for three or four months and stocks were all over the place. The pound broke, the yen broke, markets were exploding left and right, and Bitcoin was just doing nothing. That's its own form of decoupling, right? So that's why I believe if we had not seen FTX, which is when it legged down, you know, one more time, that we would still be just sort of trading sideways and boring and a lot of the contagion would have already been flushed out. But I mean, I do see a world where back half of the year, maybe Bitcoin could do exceptionally well. I mean, even if you just start to take a look at the four-year cycle and ignore all of the macro, which is hard to do, you know, 2023 would have always been predicted to be sort of a boring year with 2024 being when things ramp up again. And if you look at the four-year cycle on a chart, this right now, November, December, January, is when we should bottom, right? So even if you just take all the noise and just look for that signal, I do think that we have a good recipe for generally bottoming here, right? doesn't mean that the bottom price is in. It goes a thousand lower for a second. Who, who knows, right? But the process of bottoming and heading back up, yes. They're almost... That said, we need to see all that capital actually deployed to give us the catalyst. Maybe they sit on it for another six months. Maybe they wait for the Fed to pivot. It's really hard to predict the timing on these things. But I do think that we are very near the bottom. Now, in the first few Bitcoin bubbles, there weren't other coins to compete with like the liquidity of, of Bitcoin, right? Like it was just like Bitcoin. Then you had all this other small stuff, and then you had Ethereum, and then here we are today. I just did the whole history of crypto in, in five seconds. In those years, you had the, the bull and bear cycles, and then we saw this crazy explosion of tokens. 2017 was really that, that era. Before tokens in 2016, which is when tokens really took off, we were in a bear market from the first month of 2014. In fact, January of 2014 till about sometime in 2016. It was like two-year bear market or something like that. And then tokens. And then tokens were amazing. 2017, 2018, there was like mostly shit, but some good. And then the some good gave us things like Uniswap and Chainlink, which then bred the new era of of of, of crypto tokens that we saw in the 2021 bull cycle. But now we don't see tokens launching anymore. Almost all the token listings now are just kind of like joke coins and meme coins and stuff like that. And those are fun, but there's not money to be made. And I know the answer is like, we're just, everyone's waiting for regulation. But what if the regulation on starting tokens doesn't come or is not favorable to just like turning the faucet back on again? Will we be in like the world where the tokens that have launched are like, it's over, we won't see any new ones anymore. I think about this. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see meaningful regulation in 2023. I think it could just be one of those things that crypto yet again becomes forgotten and not that relevant because it's not going crazy and all the consumers who are going to get hurt have already gotten hurt and they just sort of put it on the back burner. And then these projects do have to make a decision as to what they're going to do. But I would almost argue, you know, your argument, which is correct, is that they're all waiting for regulation. 
I think they're all just waiting not to be in the depths of the bear market, to be quite frank. It's very hard to launch a token when prices are down, when sentiment is bad, when no one knew is here, because at the end of the day, most projects still want to make money, see their token go up. They don't want to launch uh, with minimal hype waiting and then just see sort the of a slow bleed out of yeah. their treasury. And so I think, you know, when we talked to people who are considering launching, I thought it was very bold that Aptos decided to launch in October with such a, a big project and, and a new token. Unfortunately, uh, they were sort of inextric inextricably tied to FTX yeah. for their second fundraise. And so the, that was bad timing ahead of that November. But you're not really seeing any tokens launching. I think people are quietly building, thing and pray, building things and praying that prices get better, which is not what you really ideally want to see. But I just don't think anyone wants to launch into a bear market if they think prices can continue down and there's going to be nobody there to yeah. buy the token. It's really a hard situation for them to be in, but eventually their runways are going to start to run out and they're going to have to launch, right? Regulation or otherwise. I'm not looking to time that market. I'm just looking to try to find signs of where it could eventually turn. And so like we can talk about this. Obviously, obviously the easy one is rates flattening out. You know, the Federal Reserve not raising rates anymore and eventually cutting. I'm not even looking for a cutting world. I'm looking for just like, Either. Turn off and go away. Stop being a part of my life, Federal Reserve type of thing. Like we don't need to raise or cut at all. But what else? Like there are small signs, crypto Twitter signs, podcaster signs, podcast numbers. There's all these little metrics that you could look at on-chain volume, user growth, all these little things that you can look for. And those tides are changing in a huge way. Are you seeing that? I, I would I would almost argue that at least anecdotally looking at myself and other people, it seems like crypto Twitter is somewhat dead. Crypto Twitter is dead. YouTube yeah. streams are down 80%, you know, in numbers of people watching in communities. Nobody's really adding new followers. It's not here, but those are actually bottoming signals. That's kind of what you want to see, right? You want to see people capitulating, giving up, just like you want to see them, unfortunately, puking their coins at the very bottom and, and selling. Sentiment is sort of equivalent to that at this point. And I think it's really, really bad and would be hard to imagine it getting much worse. And so that actually does make me optimistic that there's nowhere to go but up. And I think as far as macro, you're correct. Just it's a separate conversation, but I, I don't think we see rates going the other way. I think we all just want yeah. them to stop. <laughs> stop paying. Stop punching us. We're already down. That, but that's you know what where I mean? Satoshi... So like if we get you know another 0.25 then another 0.25 and they chill for three or four months, listen, there's going to be a major election cycle in 2024. So I find it hard not to imagine that they're going to you know, ramp things up and make life a lot easier in that year. But I could see 2023 being just exceptionally boring. I don't think we get destroyed in 2023. I just think we're really really bored and really trying to just keep the industry afloat. The, uh, the, the anniversary of it's January 3rd, it's the day of uh, Satoshi mined the first Bitcoin block. And in that block, it said it was talking about chancellors on the brink for the second bailout for banks. And, and you know, Satoshi was talking about in that respect, quantitative easing, the printing of money, right? Kind of the opposite of what's happening now. But I, I, I would argue that Satoshi was not arguing with that, was not talking about the issues about money printing, I think Satoshi was talking about the problems with, with just centralized manipulation of currency. And so sometimes that means too much tightening and sometimes that, that means too much easing. Because right now, through this whole pre-recession recession that we've been in in the past six months to a year, 
the only people that are losing the most are the, the, the ones who are making the, the smallest amounts of income. Those who have higher incomes and assets are able to ride out the storm. And so I would argue that Satoshi realized that it only helps the rich when the Federal Reserve gets involved. Yeah, I think that's 100% true. And it's unfortunate because the poorest people and the ones who can't withstand this kind of pain get hurt on the way up and on the way down because they miss the asset rise, right? Because they're, they're still suffering from the inflation that's rising. They're not making more money to combat those rising prices. And then they get absolutely destroyed when everything goes down the other way. It's a lose-lose situation unless you're in the top, you know, one to 10%. And that is exactly what Satoshi created Bitcoin for. Problem is, as we talked about earlier, if Bitcoin just becomes another asset that rich yeah. people are able to buy and trade like their stocks and the other, you know, and real estate and other hard assets that allow them to be ahead of the curve, that's problematic, right? I really, I question what Satoshi would think of this market at this time. I think it's pretty clear what he would think of Sam Bankman fried Kyle and Zusu and uh, friends, right? And Doquan and such. That was definitely not the ethos of what he was building. Steve and Alex and, yeah. and friends. But that also sort of leads to the point that we have to be able to separate and we have to educate people who don't understand on how to separate the assets from the industry that we built around it, right? Because it's the industry that collapsed. It's the replication of the 2008 financial system with inferior regulatory <laughs> rails and inferior security that really caused this to happen. It's not Bitcoin. It has literally nothing to do with Bitcoin or Ethereum that this happened. I'm speechless. You're 100% right. And that's, that's what we're learning from this, is that the industry that we've created around our cryptocurrencies collapsed around us. And all these centralized institutions and all these places that we relied on to make it really easy for retail users to play around in our industry, that's what broke and that's what collapsed. DeFi was the winner. Would you agree that DeFi was the biggest winner of 2022? Not only did it sustain, it grew. There's more decentralized finance protocols offering real yield and doing more things now. CeFi was created to just bring DeFi to the masses. Yeah, I think you can absolutely make that argument, although it cuts both yeah. ways a bit. So I would say that DeFi is the winner because liquidations were orderly, platforms didn't collapse, there was no human intervention, smart contracts worked, the collateral was posted, you didn't have to worry about uncollateralized loans by stupid humans to other stupid humans, right? And so it was extremely well protected, it hummed along and worked nicely. The problem is that obviously TVLs are dropping because people just don't trust having their money in crypto. And we had a lot, a lot of exploits and hacks, right? And so I think DeFi conceptually is the big winner, but DeFi technologically, we learned that bridges and wormholes and all these things are highly problematic because there's bad actors who understand how to exploit them. So I think we're sort of in the middle right now where we have a proof of concept, but now actually need the security and technology to catch up, which it will, right? We've had the zero to one moment. Now we need to go one to 10. But when you're talking about $4 billion plus dollars in exploits effectively in DeFi in one year, that's a problem as well, right? So I think we have to take a very hard look at what's being built and understand that conceptually it works exceptionally well, but we need to make sure that when you put something in, it doesn't disappear. That's And that's been the biggest problem. I wish there was some way to rely 
on these protocols that launch because it's a lot of fun going out there and playing around with some of these things, offering really cool different, even GameFi out there where you have DAOs connected to game to video games. When you put real real money in it, there's a risk. There's a website, I forget where it is, where you could follow like the hacks that happen almost like on a consistent daily basis. So that's something I'd like to see for 2023. I'd like to see some sort of like auditing sort certification or some method to like set a high standard for some of these these crypto protocols. Do you have any other any other bold predictions or or things that you'd like to see in the next year? Uh, honestly, I would be perfectly happy to just see everything stabilize and not see another massive piece of contagion, right? It's it's hard not to be concerned right now around DCG and Genesis. Oh. And I mean, when Cameron Winklevoss decides to go publicly on Twitter because he can't get Barry on the phone and blast him in an open letter, and then Barry responds saying it's all lies. No it's comment. just, we don't need more, you know, young billionaires arguing in a public forum making us look stupid. I, it blows my mind, to be quite honest. I know it's not no, the it's question true. you asked. But the fact that we're seeing Zusu and Kyle and these guys sharing their stories about surfing and, and painting beautiful pictures and lesson learned and their new, you know, religious views, like, go away, man. Like, I don't need to see SBF checking in on Twitter to argue with the guys from Three Arrows Capital on whose fault it is that we're all losing money, right? And so... I, I can't make any no, more bold right. predictions. I do think that the market will rise this year. We've never had two back-to-back -back bad years for Bitcoin where it was red. We've also not had two back-to-back -back red years for the stock market since 2003, right? And so I, I am maybe more optimistic than most generally in life and about markets. But I do think that we just need to stop the bleeding and stop this contagion. And it needs to be handled privately and professionally and not publicly in the form of public opinion. It's really becoming just embarrassing. I don't know how you can sit on the sidelines, learn in crypto and not just laugh at us. We need to act like adults. When I when yeah. I got arrested, first thing I did was not listen to my lawyers and I kept tweeting and talking to the press and the judge, rightfully so, dragged my ass into court and said, stop, you know, like, why are you talking to the New York Times? And so my advice to SBF and to Suze, everyone is stop tweeting and stop talking to the press and start getting yourself some humility training because you guys lost everyone, including Scott and I, a lot of money this year, personally, through some of these bullshit things that you guys did. And it, it definitely hurts my heart when I see them just out and about being totally cool and normal because I wasn't treated that way all those years ago. And um, I will say this, many years later from now, the world will judge you on how you acted during some of your hardest moments. And I'm very fortunate that my lawyers did hit me on the back of the head and told me to shut up and told me to take it, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, accept the situation that I was in and and stick my head high and take it like a like like, you know, take it like a man or whatever the the, the term you use. And almost everyone I see today that's been in that's done something really bad and gotten in trouble for it, they're doing the complete opposite. They're just not shutting up. So just shut up. They're not shutting up and they're on the like. Blaming everyone else but themselves. I mean, Zuzu, I don't even know whether to call him Zuzu or Suzu on any given day. But I mean, all he does is every time somebody gets in trouble or there's a little controversy, he shows up and does a thread on why his failures are that person's fault. It's not a very, uh, very positive lesson on accountability for the people in the industry or for those who are watching. And just, it's just a circus, man. 
Right. And uh, you made the perfect point. We just need to be adults. We need we need some adults in the room. And the people that maybe we thought were the adults in the room have been the worst offenders. I mean, that's obviously the worst thing that happened with FTX and SBF. Him and his stupid shoes and backpack and chewing gum as he's going into court today. Right. I mean, he was the guy who was supposed to be the adult in the room sitting on Capitol Hill negotiating on behalf of the industry, the golden child making us all look good. That's why the sting from FTX is so much worse even than the rest of these. Right. It's just astounding because he put everything on his shoulders and was the last person we could afford to see fail. Having said all that and having like all the, the, the indicators that were added, like all the bearish and, 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 I, and I feel your sentiment and everything. It is, and you're going to laugh at this question. It's just stupid. It's not stupid. It's, it's a real question, but it's like, is there a trade in crypto that one can reasonably make right now? Is there any trade? Is there any long Bitcoin trade that costs reasonably a little bit of amount, like doesn't cost a lot with leverage? where it's like, if Bitcoin doesn't move up in the next few months, then it's like you lose a little bit. But if it does, then you have a lot to gain. Is there any trade? Yeah, I, I don't know that there's any immediate trade. I certainly <laughs> wouldn't use leverage to do it. And I don't think it's a dumb question at all because the very fact that you're asking it and laughed at the fact that you were asking it is probably an incredible signal on the negative sentiment around the industry and probably a signal that you should be at least dollar cost averaging and buying some of your favorite assets here. I'm not saying to go yeah. 25, 50, 100 coins down <laughs> the coin market cap list to find some illiquid shit coins that you think might have a move. But listen, the Ethereum merge was a massively bullish narrative. It went off without a hitch. It just happened in the depths of a bear market. But if you've ever watched a Bitcoin halving and seen everybody get excited and then nothing happens, then six months later, things start to go up because that's when the actual supply decrease starts to kick in for traders and for investors. I think we could see something like that with Ethereum in 2023. I also think that there's going to be a time when you're just kicking yourself senseless that you didn't buy Bitcoin at $16,666 yeah. or whatever it's sitting at right now. Maybe I'm the no, dumbest person on planet Earth it's possible, but there's nothing in me that believes there's any chance that Bitcoin will not eventually trade much higher if than it is now. there was ever a time. So whether I buy it, if, if I think, and my premise still is that Bitcoin is a six-figure asset, I think even much higher, but even let's say that the massive high-end bull case for Bitcoin is 100,000. Do you care if you bought one at 16,600 or at 12,000? I don't, right? And so I think that right now, People laugh, like buy the dip, <laughs> dips again, buy the dip again, right? I can tell you anecdotally, right? We talked about the Great Recession briefly earlier. Like I was broke. I was in debt like everyone else. And I finally started to come out of it in 2006, 2007. And so to be responsible, I started dollar cost averaging into SPY, right? Just to buy basically a representation of the market every month into my IRA and whatever. I buy a certain amount on the first day of the month. Okay, so I start buying it in 2007, 2008, right at the dead-ass top of the market, and everything crashes around me, right? And the one smart thing that I did was I just never changed. I just let it run. It continued to dollar-cost average. I was down on every single SPY purchase that I had made for like four or five years, right? Just absolutely destroyed through the entire Great Recession. By 2016, 17, 18, I was still doing it. I was up by 2021 on every purchase I had ever made on SPY in history. And the greatest purchases I ever made were when I automatically turned off my brain and allowed 
and allowed the sensible thing to happen, which was to just dollar cost average and not think through the depths of that recession and bear market. And that's the people who are going to make money are the ones who somehow still have cash. That's the hard part. It's easy to say buy the dip, but with what? Right. But for people who still have capital to just start deploying it now. But yeah. don't care if it goes down another 25 Well, if you had started like even this time last year and you bought January 1st, you'd be down maybe right now, but you'd be at a good price and you'd be building your portfolio with money that you would have otherwise spent on food or drink. It's not like people are saying, okay, I'm otherwise putting money into the stock market now, but I'm going to start moving it to crypto. It's look at crypto as this asset class that you may have laughed about before. But if you ever think that there was a like, it's like a zero sum game. If there's like any chance that Bitcoin and crypto become successful down the road, we just went through the epic collapse that everyone was waiting for, for years for us to happen. That was the dot-com bubble of our equivalent. In fact, wasn't it like equivalent amount of money? Yeah. Yes. And I mean, it's also important to point out that if you've been dollar cost averaging into Meta, Netflix, Amazon, you're probably down just as much as if you had dollar cost average into Bitcoin and nobody would be laughing at you if you've been buying Amazon sure. all year, right? And so I, I just think it's disingenuous when we act like it's a crypto winter that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. I mean, tech is destroyed. Kathy Wood's doing a hell of a lot worse than Bitcoin, right? I mean, and that's just a fact. And a year and a half ago, she was the most highly touted investor and trader on all of Wall Street. So. I think that we've had our dot-com bubble, as you said. We've had our insane year, and maybe it goes down a little more. But I think that most of the four sellers have sold. I think most of the people who would have sold have sold. And I think now we just need more buyers to kick in. I mean, you were saying this is going to be a 2022 year in review. I literally can't even think of all the bad things that happened. Someone reminded me the other day about the Bitfinex hackers being caught and it was the girl rapper oh, named Rosalind, who was like a performance artist. That was this year. That should have been the craziest thing that happened in crypto this year, bar none. And I don't even remember that it existed. I forgot the merge happened. Right? I mean, <laughs> I forgot the Ethereum yeah, merge. The, the, I mean, the merge was the biggest. Listen, I don't care. You don't have to be, you don't have to like Ethereum. You can be a Bitcoin maximalist. The Ethereum merge was a yeah, big of technological achievement. You don't have to like the asset. You could just say, hey, that was pretty incredible. You can hate that they went to proof of stake. It doesn't matter to me. You have to say that that was an incredible technological achievement. People don't even remember it happened. It's like it, it wasn't even a thing. You had a good point, though, what you said earlier. As much as bad news has been pummeling us the past few months, the price has kind of just like stayed the same, barring the FTX situation. And I think that was related to just a lot of like the price discovery was on FTX and its sister platforms and sites because they were like, hundred different companies involved there. No, I'm just remembering like when, Here's a when Mt. Gox collapsed, there was nowhere to even like check the Bitcoin price. <laughs> it's, it's, over. It's, a different, it's a different world and it's going to improve. <laughs> this is something that I've been kicking around and I've mentioned a few times. Voyager, Celsius, although people like us were affected, I think you had sort of, it was very sad because so many retail people who were not crypto native lost their money. People all over the world who said, this is a bank. I can get interest. I can't get it in my bank. It's safe. They got destroyed, right? Those people probably were only going to have a little bit of money in crypto in general. They weren't going to become traders. They weren't going to probably become crypto native. They just saw it yeah. as an opportunity. A lot of them honestly just thought, I'll hold USDC 
right? It's a dollar, well, no different than my bank account, and I'll make a yield. The problem with FTX, beyond the fact that it was SBF that we talked about before, is I think that that's where the crypto natives and the funds viewed as yes. the safest place to trade and were holding their assets. So now you have all these people who are deeply, deeply passionate about the space, who follow it every day, who trade every day, who are using leverage on those platforms, who have lost everything. And I don't know if they've yet processed or if the industry has yet processed that all of those people are no longer long crypto, right? They, I think everybody mentally is still long. Yeah. They still have their assets, but they're gone. And so if the, mm. in, if the price goes up now, that is actually the worst case scenario for all the people who are sitting on the sidelines waiting to see a resolution to chapter yeah. 11 or as creditors. And so sadly, if you talk about markets wanting to inflict max pain, I would argue that Bitcoin at 30,000 is a hell of a lot worse for more people who truly care than Bitcoin at 10,000. Because everyone, everyone's claims because, are locked into the dollar value now. Right. And if they get their money back, imagine they get it back and they lost it when Bitcoin was 17,000 and they get it back and Bitcoin's yeah, 45. That's what happened to all the now Gox people eight years later. Yeah. You almost wish, like those people are almost cheering for the market to go down because it'd be so painful to see it go up because then yeah, it's for so, us too. That number that you had oh my rises. God. Like you're losing more as the market so maybe goes Maybe there's up. some manipulation at play here, keeping prices depressed. I always felt that there was always market manipulation in Crypto SEC thinks that too. That's why they won't give us an ETF. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. But, you know, I would say that you could argue that the stock market is the most manipulated market in the world. The problem is it's the guys who give the ETFs. They're the ones who are manipulating the stock market. So it doesn't matter to them. <laughs> right. I mean, like, listen, it, it, Bitcoin, you know, half the hash rate goes offline in a matter of weeks when China, when the China ban happened. Yeah, Bitcoin price collapsed, but there was nobody to step in and provide yeah. a bailout. There was no floor. There was no centralized authority to come in and save it. And the network just kept on humming along. Price might have gone down, but Bitcoin didn't break. It worked perfectly. No problems. Stock market has like a 10% down day. And all of a sudden, the Fed is back to easy money and freaking out and providing a floor and buying bonds and all these things. Bitcoin's a free market. The problem is when you talk about a free market, there's going to be whales in that free market who can manipulate the price yeah. because it's a free market. But as other market participants, we have the option or at least the opportunity to be on the same side as them as opposed to being their victims, right? That's not really the case in the stock market for most people. So I would, I would argue that even though Bitcoin is quote unquote manipulated, it's manipulated in the context of a free market. Well, because the, you know, you're freely able to, if you have enough money to, to you know, yeah. One person's manipulation. And I don't, but I can make yeah, the same trade the same, as that guy. a free open market. And it's like a function of that. It's just like this deep liquidity pool. All this talk over the last hour has just made me very bullish, and if anything. Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I, I will never cease to be bullish. Maybe it's a, uh, a character <laughs> flaw or something. Like I said, I, I'm just an eternal optimist. Now, I can be bearish on price in over a certain amount of time. But as I said before, nothing has fundamentally changed for me here for Bitcoin or for the actual assets, right? It's just an industry-wide collapse, not an asset collapse. And to me, if you were a Warren Buffett or you know, a Ray Dalio or one of the more famous investors in legacy markets, these are the opportunities of a lifetime that they talk about. Where is the baby being thrown out with the bathwater? What is absolutely destroyed and down for no other reason than the entire market is down and sentiment is bad. And I think that that's the case for Bitcoin, right? 
There's nothing here happened to Bitcoin, right? It's just the asset that everybody can sell and use leverage on and can get rid of on a Saturday at 4 p.m. when they get bad news in their life and they can't sell their stock. Scott, thanks for taking the time and, and coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. You've made me a lot more bullish than I thought I was, but it's a good way to start off the year. And, and I think the moral of the story is that a lot of that pain is hopefully behind us. And then we could, we could move forward to a, a bigger and brighter tomorrow. I agree. And if there's more pain, at least we're uh, well-practiced in absorbing it. I'll see you later.